Hello, listeners. This is PSG Talk contributor Mark Damon, and this is PSG Small Talk for Saturday, March 10th, 2018. On today's show, we will cover Tuesday's 2-1 defeat at the Parc des Princes to Real Madrid in the Champions League, which has left PSG in quite the dire straits. We'll also cover Saturday's contest against FC Mets, where PSG rebounded with a 5-0 victory. We'll talk about who should stay and who should go. And we'll talk about who the next manager for PSG will be. I am joined by PSG Talk contributor John Olangi, and it is a fascinating show. So strap in and enjoy. So, John, how are you doing on this fine Saturday afternoon? I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. I'm, you know, got had a pretty long week at work, but, you know, the weekend is here. Got to watch some football today, so... Doing pretty good. Yeah, and um, it's been enough days where I'm now sort of out of uh, out of the Tuesday uh, evening funk that I was in. Like, you know, going coming off of work to watch a Champions League game and having a migraine headache and then watching them do what they did and then taking a three-hour nap afterwards, it, it throws off your rhythm. But I think I'm back into... I think I'm back into a decently good mood because that small talk that I tried to um, do after the game was really depressing. <laughs> like, I, I, yeah. it, you don't, you, you think you can do it, but it's just like, God, you don't want to do it. It's just you put it out there because you feel like you have to. But this will be a lot. You more... realize while you were doing it, it's like you're, you're too emotional, and it just happened. It's better to kind of just let it simmer out and then be and come back with a you know a straight head into it. <laughs> yeah, I I agree. I mean, I I I might have been more entertaining if like the game had been somewhat more entertaining, but it just felt like a it just felt like a slow death march. So it just it just sucked the energy out of you. But let's start with some good news. Uh, PSG just finished off a five nil victory over FC Mets, who look like they are. Going down into League 2, uh, Christopher Nkunku scored twice, Mbappe scored, um, Munier scored on a nice little volley, uh, Thiago Silva with his first goal of the season. Uh, I think today's theme was the youth. I think you saw some really good performances from PSG's 
youth. Now, I understand that Mbappe was a Monaco uh, loanee slash transfer, but he's still 19 years old. So, um, what did you think of today, and specifically, what did you think of what the uh, younger players, let's put it that way, the players that haven't really been a part of the years and years of Champions League failures, how did they do today, and how did they, uh, did it give you some more optimism heading uh, further into the year? Well, yeah, I think it was, um, you know, coming off of uh, Tuesday's loss, you know, as a fan, you kind of go into it. It's like, all right, there's nothing else to really look forward to, but you get to see the younger, the younger talent play. But uh, in, in today's match, and, and I wasn't, like, you know, I wasn't going to be impressed if, uh, you know, the some of the senior players did anything. It was more so what the what the young guys would do. And man, and Kunku kind of stepped up, and it was it was fascinating to me because we kind of like. We, we, we suspect he's good, right? We, we haven't really seen enough to, to know where his level is, but we kind of know, like, he has potential. And it's just been a matter of him replaying him. And, man, he, you know, the, the goal last week and then today putting in the brace, putting, pretty much putting putting in the hat trick. If uh, if Leon had VAR, it would have been the hat trick. And um, it, it was really impressive. Now, uh, as far as Timothy Weah, Hmm. I'm still holding back off of kind of the, the, the hype that's generating behind him because I just need to see more. But he's American, John. <laughs> well, I mean, sure, but, you know, I don't, I, I, me personally, I don't care about any of that stuff. It's like yeah. you perform. And uh, he had, like, like a, he, he made some good runs, like, on the, on the one-on-one he got today. Like, I saw, I watched him as he made, he tried to make a run first, and Munya didn't see him, and then he kept going and made that run and got into position where he was one-on-one with the goalie, and he, he could have really just easily chipped it over him, but, you know, nerves and all that stuff. But, you know, I just I just need to see more before I kind of make my judgment on him. But, yeah, it's, it's really promising to see how uh, Kipembe is just bossing the, 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 the other teams forward. And Kunku being a hybrid player where he can play in the wing, he can play in the midfield, and could even play a left-back or one of the, the full-back positions – and uh, Mbappe, obviously, just, you know, he, he's still growing. As, as, as talented as he is, man, he's got so far uh, more to go. And uh, it's, it's really promising the talent that uh, the, you, the French youth system in general kind of uh, oozes out. And PSG have some of those guys, and Rabio and all these guys. And it's promising for the future if you look at the big picture yeah. as to, you know, what league uh, – has and then, you know it's important that these guys stay in league uh, and kind of build the, the 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 profile of the league. Yeah, and I Mets weren't any good, but like I mean they were god awful defensively. Like they had a couple of minutes there where they were making some runs when it was one uh, when it was one nil. But I mean they they're they're obviously if not I don't think they're the worst team. I think they're the second worst team. I think uh, the team we played before them, Twa is a little bit worse than they are, but Mets aren't very good. But it's important to know that, and, and I kind of put it into tears, like we knew for all those years that Lucas Mora was a league player in the sense that he could perform adequately well enough where you could start him in a league game and you weren't going to have a disaster happen. But when he went into Champions League games, he was completely useless. Now, 
PSG need as many league players as possible in the sense that for the last couple of years, Unai Emery has been so reluctant to use his bench and he only really wants to use the guys that he trusts, like implicitly. You know, it took Lachelso months and months to get to that point. And I think it's helped him in a certain way. But we know now that Lachelso can pretty much play against 95% of the Liga teams and be fairly effective. Maybe not some of the more physical teams yet. I want to see Unkanku do this consistently in the league. Because, it, again, it goes in those stages. And if Unkanku can do this for the rest of the year, if Weya can come off the bench and he can be effective like he's been, again, he's not a player that's going to take over a game yet. He's still 18 years old. And he's not, and you can tell he's not quite sure what to do all the time. Like, positionally, he's not, like, excellent yet. But you see in the moments where he gets it that he's a dynamically uh, gifted offensive threat. And you see that Nkunku, I thought, was really versatile in this game. Like, you would see him all, he just pops up. Like, you don't expect, you don't know where he's going to be, but, like, you just, you'll see him. Like, He'll be playing center forward, and then he'll drop back into the midfield, and then he'll go off into the wing. And that's a really versatile player, and I think his versatility's hurt him in the sense that what position do you play him at? And what position does he play that he's better than Neymar or Rabio and Verratti or whoever? Like, he's not starting over any of those guys. And he doesn't really have a position where you go, okay, he's really good at this position. He just seems like he's a really good football player. Like, you know, those those versatile sort of uh, – in, in the NFL, you have those sort of versatile wide receiver, kick returner, punt returner, yeah. could, play, could play in the secondary. He's just a really good football player that can do a lot of good things. And I'd love to see more of him. I'd love to see way – continue to be included in the squads and Kimpembe is just tremendous and we'll get into him I want to save him for more of uh, the manager talk because it's kind of my argument he's kind of the basis of my argument for why Conte would be a good uh, potential manager for them but it's promising and if you build the team around those guys if you have the right pieces the right veteran experience pieces the Neymars and the Cavani for maybe another year and uh Silva on the bench or in a back three helping those guys out or if you have those right pieces and you bring in the right culture those young players can flourish PSG have the opportunity and they have some more guys down there like Yassine Adley and maybe Caligari and if Alex Georgian comes back off loan. So the future is, I think, um, I think pretty bright. Now, let me ask you a question. If PSG, uh, they're probably going to win the league. They're probably going to win the Coupe de France. I mean, Caen is not a walkover game, but they should beat them and then the third tier side. And then they... The really the biggest game left on their schedule, um, competition-wise, is the Coupe de la Ligue final against Monaco. If they win the quadruple, meaning the Trophy de Champion, the Coupe de la Ligue, the Coupe de France, and the Liga trophy, I'm not going to ask you if you would consider the season a success, but would you say that it leaves you with a better taste in your mouth than, let's say, we drop one of these competitions? It's kind of a loaded question, but take it where you want to go with it. 
Well, I mean, um, I don't. It, it, it depends. Like me personally, like I don't. I don't. The yes, the Champions League is, is the measuring mark, right? But in terms of uh, for the club and, and everything, the revenue and, and everything that goes into that, yes, it's important that they win all those trophies, but. Like, we have to just be, you know, kind of call a spade a spade. If we don't win the Champions League, you know, nothing else matters. And, uh, you know, and it's, it's not that black and white, but in, at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. And I think, I honestly think they're going to keep, and we have, we're not going to get, I'm not going to get into the Emery thing, but I think they're going to keep him uh, for at least for the rest of the season to finish out the season just because how well they've done in the cup matches and domestically and all that stuff. Yeah. But it's, um, yeah, I don't, like, if, if we win it, uh, it's cool. Like, I, I don't, I won't think much of it or think any less of what it already is. We've done it the past couple of years, so it's not really a yeah. big deal to me. Now, I, I, just my, my view on it. I think the league is, I think it's not, it's not necessarily important to win the league in the sense that PSG should win the league pretty much the way they spend. You know, they should be what Bayern Munich is in the Bundesliga and what Juventus is in Serie A. It's not if you win the league, it's really how you win the league. And right now, PSG have scored, I think, 90, uh, 91 league goals. They have 77 points out of 29 games. They have a realistic chance of actually getting to 100 points in the league, which hasn't really been done by a lot of you know teams in Europe's top five. I think Barcelona. I think it's Barcelona, Real Madrid, and maybe Bayern once. Like it's not a long list. So if they win the league in that way, where you just they're convincing, in, and they're not dropping games at the end of the year, and they're not sort of going through the motions. I'll find that to be impressive. Now, again, it's not going to overcome the big issue here, which is you don't pay 400 million euros in transfer fees to get knocked out in the round of 16 of the Champions League. But when it comes to consolation prizes, I think it's pretty good. And obviously you don't want to lose to Monaco in a cup match. So I think those really are the two major ones. I'll be happy with it. I won't, you know, obviously, again, I won't be ecstatic, but uh-huh. it, it'll be decent enough. It'll be decent enough for me to, like, be able to hold my head up at the end of the year. Now, unless we have anything else to talk about with Mets, and I don't, I don't necessarily think we do, let's go to the Champions League game on Tuesday where the fans showed up, Real Madrid showed up, the referees showed up. I'm not quite sure PSG showed up. And I haven't gone too much long form because, uh, again, I did that sort of um, small talk deal after the game that I was sort of half awake for. So um, I'll let you start it off. Um, You go into that game and you know that PSG are going to have to do something special. And in about the first 15 minutes, and now full disclosure, I was watching this game on my phone while I was at work. For the first about 15 minutes. Don't tell my boss. Um, But I knew in the first 15 minutes. Because you could just tell that Real Madrid were doing the boa constrictor. Where it's like, just stay in front of them. Let them dribble the ball. Give them space. But whenever PSG went to make the really important key pass, block, deflection, steal, counter. 
every time. And you saw how just deep Real Madrid got on their counters. They were getting right to the doorstep. And I think pretty early on you knew this probably isn't going to happen. Now, there were some things that happened in the second half that I, I think were... Uh, that compounded the issue and made it look worse than it might have been. But just, I think, after that first 15 minutes where I think PSG realized they just, it, it's not going to happen, I think they kind of, I just think it kind of fell apart a little bit there. And then especially after the first goal, I thought, yeah, that was too easy. Steal, counter, Ronaldo, header, celebration, ball game. Right. So take it from there. Go ahead. What did you What did you think of PSG's latest uh, installment of Can they win the Champions League? With the answer again being no. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, well, I was at work as well, and I'm again watching on my phone, so I wasn't really into it like that. But I was every time I'm glancing over, I'm seeing. Nobody but Verratti dribbling the ball. He's the only one dribbling the ball, and obviously that doesn't turn into good things because he's holding on to the ball too long. Every time I look up, Rabio is uh, just giving away the ball, and we're not really into it. I'm noticing these things for the little bit that I'm glancing. And like you said, you kind of get that sense like, yo, if they don't do something here, this one is over, right? And and it, it was just disappointing because – Man, they had the park defense rocking. It was the flares was going on, and it was just a, a magnificent atmosphere. And and they come out there and pretty much lay an egg. Hmm. And and you would think it would be the opposite, where where we we need this for the morale of the of the of the team and and, and the club and the supporters. And and we just don't do it, and we're like just doing. Uh, you know, things that we did last year, and you're expecting a great team like Real Madrid to hand it to you, and it's not going to happen that way. So it was, uh, and, and then as far as Real Madrid goes, it didn't even look like they were playing at like 100% full go. They were kind of just doing their thing, sitting back and absorbing the pressure and going when they need to go. So it was disappointing in that sense. And um, my thing about Emery when, uh, in the first leg, when we, Everyone was kind of saying how he showed balls and and he did this and that to to by by starting Kipembe and and Lo Celso. This to me justified my point that I made in that first leg where I, I, if I'm the opponent, I'm calling his bluff because that's not who you really are. Because what he did is he knew this was the last chance, and what did he do? He started Morta, he went back to Thiago Silva, so he was going to die on kind of the, the, the norm, like what, what his comfort zone. So it shows you that he doesn't really have it in him to, to go against the grain. And when it came down to the pressure moment, he reverted back to his usual lineup, his usual tactics and his usual kind of thing. And it was just like, this is, this is why he's not the right man for the job. And uh, for, for all the money PSG spent, uh, on Neymar, and everyone would seem seem to be really comf- confident in PSG being able to do something without Neymar. But realistically, if you look at it, no, he's our best player. He's the only one who can penetrate defense. That's why Verratti 
felt that he needed to be doing all this creativity, and uh, it didn't happen. So without Neymar, and uh, where we're going in shorthanded, and we don't have a true six, so we were going into it shorthanded, so you expect that to kind of be into the guys to play a better game, and it just doesn't happen. And it's like we see this every year in the Champions League, and it comes with some bad luck, you know. First, first round, round of 16 match, we get Real Madrid, Barcelona. All those things is not in our favor, but you can't really complain. And um, it is what it is. Uh, they have to, you know, do something different here. And I guess we'll talk about that here shortly. Yeah, I think I agree with a lot of what you said. And you could tell that Real Madrid was incredibly comfortable giving PSG the ball. I mean, like, they didn't think about it for a second. Because PSG with Thiago Mata and Marco Verratti, it looks pretty. And, it you know, you get the, you get the nice passing and everyone goes, ooh, look at the pretty passes. But unless you have a player like Neymar to sort of connect those pieces, where you have the possession, but then you also have a guy that can take the ball at the midline and run at somebody and force a defense to move. And I said this at the beginning of the year. I said this in August. So it, it, none of this is really you know anything new. But what Neymar does is he gets a defense out of shape. He forces a defense to do things that they wouldn't normally do. And in the game on Tuesday, Real Madrid did not have to really do anything special. They just had to stay in front and be disciplined and make the correct uh, deflections and make the correct switch-offs. There wasn't that... um, There wasn't that era... There wasn't that aura of unpredictability where you need someone to go get a... It's the same thing. You look at any sport, especially look at a sport like basketball. Sometimes you need a guy to just get the ball and score. And you can have all this intricate passing and all these uh, different patterns to your play. If you don't have a guy that can just go get you a goal when you need it, a lot of it doesn't matter because you're making these passes so far away from the actual goal that Real Madrid will just let you do it. They're that smart. And it's not because Zidane is some sort of master. It's because those players have basically done everything. They've played in every type of game and every type of situation. They've played in different leagues. They've played in the World Cup. They've played in the European Championships. And they know just sort of instinctually what they have to do. And they know what type of game they have to play. And they don't need some guy, you know, sitting them through a 10-hour film session to tell them how to play. They just, you know, the coach gives them a basic guideline of what to do. And then they fill in the gaps, which is what it really, you know, if you have the type of roster that can do that, that's what you want. And what this game proved is that over all these years, you know, where these guys, especially these older players, should be developing some sort of muscle memory and developing a sort of chemistry to where they get into these difficult games and they know how to get out of the difficult situations within the game. This team doesn't know how to do that at all in any way. And it it goes to my point, and I know you love the guy, 
to an extent, but 60-something minute, Marco Verratti's getting fouled. He's getting fouled, I and I, I, I agree that he's getting fouled, but that referee wasn't calling anything either way. There was no referee issue in that game. He was basically just saying, play the game unless it's really something bad, I'm not going to do anything. Verratti's already on a yellow card. He gets up. He sprints to the referee, screams in his face, and then he acts somehow surprised that the referee gives him a second yellow. It's like, what did you think was going to happen? Now, the reactionary part of me thinks, well, this is what players do all the time when they don't want to play in the game anymore. They get themselves thrown out. I mean, you've seen that happen before, where a a player just gets frustrated to the point where the, ah, I just don't want to do this anymore. They're fucking hacking me, and I can't get anywhere, and I'm just going to yell out, and I'm going to be selfish, and I'm going to get my anger out, and I'm going to get myself thrown out of the game. I don't think it was necessarily that bad, but I just feel like in that moment, he encapsulated sort of the... In a way, in general, he encapsulates PSG's I can't believe this is happening to me kind of uh, childish attitude. You know what I mean? Like the You've, you've been around the children who get, are shocked and amazed when they don't get everything they want. So they start throwing a hissy fit or they don't know what to do or they start crying or whatever. That's the reaction this PSG team has to adversity. It's it's how is this happening to us again? Rather than sort of putting their head down and just working, they start looking for the referee to make a call. They start yelling at the referee. They look at the bench. The bench doesn't know what to do. You know, they start rushing their passes. They start doing stupid things in their own half. You know, they miss shots, and Edinson Cavani misses a shot, and he goes all apoplectic, and he's amazed that he missed the shot, rather than, like, getting back on effing defense. Now, am I being too harsh on that, or am I on to something? No, that's that's a fair assessment, because it, it goes into the lack of, like, you know, all that pouting and, and complaining, it goes into a lack of uh, understanding the magnitude of the game, right? It's like it's almost as it's almost as of Tuesday night. Everyone from the pundits who hate PSG, us as PSG supporters, the Parc des Prince fans, the ultras, everyone knew and understood how important this match was, except for the fucking players on the pitch. <laughs> and and you would think at this point, and in, in being eliminated in in the in the round of sixteen past two years, you would think at this point, like you said, they mustered up some type of muscle memory or something that says we're not going to allow this to happen again. And yet, it's the same thing, and that and that goes into yeah, my one of my favorite football players, Thiago Silva. He's a leader. Uh, Unai Emery, uh, Marco Verratti, and, and I, I and, and my piece that I wrote that's on PSG Talk. I, I said these are the good things that he's done, and this, this, the the part, the aspect of him being like sort of a pest and doing all that—that's the part that's going to hinder PSG. And as you, as we already know, it has hindered the the Italian national team. That's why, that's one of the reasons they're not in the World Cup this year because they don't have. He, he was off on a red card, and um, he he was carded too many times, and he wasn't able to play in that last game against Sweden 
where they, you know, they missed their chance um, to go to the World Cup. And and Verratti, I think he's just like, I'm 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 at the point where I still think I don't. And I've seen a lot of people say he should go. I don't think it's, it's the time yet. But if he does, I, I don't mind it. But we have to see some type of progression. And I thought he was having one of his better seasons this year. But we have mm-hmm. to see some type of progression, not particularly in his skill. But it's 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 mental. It's a mental thing with him, and it vibrates throughout the entire team. Yeah. Where these guys have like PTSD. It's like they can't get over this mental hump, and it's really disappointing to watch. And as world class talent yeah. that they are, it's, it's like man, something's got to give. Yeah, and I think part of the problem and. I wasn't some high-level um, coach, but I, I coached for years and years. And, not yet, well, six, seven years. But I coached for a little bit, you know. And I still coach now. But not, at, not at, again, not at a high level. But you can see two things when you're watching a game from the sideline. You can see when the players on the field have quit on the coach. And you can see when the players on the field are confused as to what is happening in front of them. And you got a little bit of both in that game. And one of the things that good teams do, that bad teams don't, is that good teams, they stack up the little plays. Like, for example, and let me give you an example. Like, let's say you have two people that want to both earn $2, and they have to go onto the beach to find money on the sand. PSG are the type of guy that would overlook the quarters and the pennies and the dimes and look for the dollars. That's right. While the other guy is skimming, is, is, sorry, I, I don't know what word I just tried to come up with there, um, was skimming the ground and picking up every little coin that they could find. Now, you would think that if that guy who's looking for the dollars finds a dollar first, he's going to win. But what if he never finds the dollar? And that other guy's been picking up coins, picking up coins, picking up coins, and he gets to the to the $2 mark before the other person does. Now, as convoluted as of an analogy as that is, you get my point. PSG are waiting for the big thing to happen, the thing that's going to change their luck, as opposed to just getting in there and just making the individual little small plays that add up. They all add up. Every little deflection, every little block, every little tackle, every little smart defensive play where you don't give the ball away, every little kind of unselfish um, layoff pass, every little thing that you can do. Great teams do that. And they do the little things, and they do them better. PSG are still that team that's that's skimming the ground, looking for that $20 bill, as opposed to just picking up the quarters and dimes and accumulating it that way. Yeah. And you need a – yeah, go ahead. And, and, and to, that, to that point, before the match on Tuesday – I read, um, I read, uh, I forget who posted it, but they put a quote of what Emery had to say prior to the match. And, he, and they kind of asked him, what do you think it's going to take for you guys to pull this off? 
And this guy says it's going to be up to the players, the fans, and the magic of Paris. And I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> that's, you know, that, that that's the type of confidence and that's the type of, like, a half-court shot attempt of a mentality that your coach, you know, he's not even talking about anything tactically or anything like that. He's saying the, the, the fans and the magic of Paris. And I just thought that pretty much summed it up for me. <laughs> and I thought that was interesting to what you just said. It's like everything is they're waiting for that big break and they're not willing to put in the work, you know, to, 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 to make it happen. You have to you have to dictate the narrative. You have to be the one to make the difference. But if you go out there and just pass back and forth and, and do whatever against a team like Real Madrid, it's not happening. Yes. Um, I mean, Paris is magic, but it's not that type of magic. And, 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 so, and it's not Harry Potter magic. It's more of a it's more of an existential thought rather than some sort of actual <laughs> physical magic. But yeah. but that's sort of the mentality, though. You, you know, yeah. it's that, you know, and to a certain extent, it works in that PSG got Neymar and Mbappe, something no one thought they could ever do. Part of that was because of their wishful thinking and persistence. But when it comes to being on the field... You can't just wait for something to happen and then panic when it doesn't go your way. And part of the reason, and I wrote this in my column, is and I I used an old NFL films quote because it was just it was so um, it was so apropos for this when I said they have the Roman appetite for victory without the Spartan will to sacrifice for it, and it's not that they don't want to have that Spartan will. I just don't think they know how to do it. Like, there's never been a guy, not Laurent Blanc, because most of these guys weren't even around during Ancelotti. Like, Javier Pastore was there, and I think Thiago Silva maybe for a year. But a lot of these guys, they don't even know how to start going towards that. Like, they wouldn't even know the first step. Yeah, they want to do it, but they don't know how. And for all of, you know, for all of Unai Emery's faults, and I think a lot of the times he gets blamed for the wrong stuff, and I think it kind of takes away from the major criticism that he should be uh, charged with. You know, sometimes, again, today I'm just full of analogies, but, you know, sometimes when you charge the guy with, charge a guy with double homicide, it doesn't necessarily matter that he also stole the television out of the house. (laughs) Like, you know, we're complaining about that, and then we're forgetting the two bodies lying on the floor. Like, the reason Unai Emery is a bad coach is because he has no idea how to instill toughness in his team. And he lost his team tactically last year when he tried to go 4-2-3-1, and Silva just went, nope, we're not doing that. Sorry, we're not doing that. You're the young, you're the you're the new guy here. You're gonna adapt to us, right. and he could have made that work, but he didn't. And this year, I think he's more or less just been a puppet, like ineffectual guy. You know, he's just an inef- He's a non-entity. He you might as well just put a cardboard cut out there, because yeah. no one's listening to him. Like Neymar doesn't give a damn yeah. uh, listening to Emery. That's why I'm saying like. It, it, it just remember when Neymar got hurt and Emery kept saying, oh, it's going to be OK. We think it's OK. And 
oh, he could be back in a week. And and all the other people were saying, like the people from Brazil were like, nah, he ain't good. He ain't good. He's getting surgery. Do you think Emery was like the last guy to know that? Like he, he wasn't even in like those discussions. He was so low and so not thought of. So for me, the the murder's committed. There's no, no, nothing else he can do at this point means anything except for just play the young guys and try not to you know screw the rest of this up too badly. But I'm now comes the point where you have to start the evaluations and you can only scapegoat Unai Emery for so much. At some point, you have to look at the players. And we'll go players and then man. Eh, let's go players and then manager, because we can kind of weave in some more Champions League talk when we talk about the players. Let's talk about the back line and the center backs. Should Thiago Silva be the quote unquote starting center back for PSG next year? Now I understand they've been doing a three man rotation, but no one does a three-man rotation, and there's a reason you don't do a three-man rotation. is because in big games, you want your best two center backs there. So, yeah, whoever the third guy is, unless they go to a back three, which I would actually think isn't the worst idea in the short term, but if it's a back two, who are your two starting center backs next year? Um, I'm still going with uh, Marquinhos and Thiago Silva. Um, Interesting. If Kipembe is, if he's there. He's he's ready for that, you know, for that next level. But I think it's it's important that, and and, and I kind of disagree. I think I think what Emery did with rotating the three center backs this year, even though I don't think it's a it's a good idea, but he managed to do it right. Like it, it was it was you were able to see each each center back play alongside each other. Yeah, and. Um, and it, it, it kind of helped to the rise of President Elke Pembe where he was able to play next to Thiago Silva and Marquinhos. Yeah. And, and you can kind of you can kind of attest the the rise of Marquinhos and Kipembe to playing alongside Thiago Silva. Thiago Silva, when he was playing with David Luiz, he normally lined up on the right side. But with Marquinhos and his capabilities was stronger on that right side. So he defers and plays on the left side. So, you know, all those things go go into, you know, whatever decision you want to make. But I, I'm, I'm still – I don't think Thiago Silva has, like, two more years. I think next year I wouldn't mind – you know, I wouldn't mind Kipembe playing in the big games and, 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 and Silva only playing some league-on games. But I feel like he, he does have to play because of yeah. just his defending ability. But, like, I, I really wouldn't mind either way, but I feel like he has to stay, and I don't think you, you get rid of him completely. Now, it's it's important that when we when we go into our conversation and talk about uh, the managers, yeah. I, forget, I forget who posted it, but I think we were talking about the same thing. They kind of went into all the, the possible uh, coaching options and what their lineups would be. Yeah. And, and Conte likes to play the back three. I wouldn't mind seeing Kipembe Marquinhos and Thiago Silva back there. That would be, that would be, you know, formidable. And then if you have the right win backs who can, you know, obviously go into attack and kind of help out in defense, that you know there wouldn't be a problem there. So 
I don't I don't think you completely get rid of Thiago Silva yet. Like I, I saw, I was watching uh, the Bayern Munich match today against uh, Hamburg, and Jerome Boateng is still out there. The guy's not even athletic at all, and Mats Hummels, these a lot of overrated center backs. And I'm looking at the performance that Giorgio Chiellini put in for Juventus, and if yeah. these guys are older, if they can still put on those type of performances, I don't doubt Thiago Silva can. So it's, it's really just a matter of how great Pemba is, which is making this a difficult situation. So I think you keep all three, and uh, it's really up to the manager how you use them. Yeah, and I would not advocate for getting rid of Silva for two reasons. One, he's a, I still think he's an underrated um, locker room guy. I think some people, especially in the, especially I think some of the English uh, writers that cover Liga. They kind of look at Silva differently. I think they think he's overrated. I don't I ever thought he was overrated. I always felt like he's a incredibly gifted, good box center back. But here's and, and I think the second reason obviously is because they they can't move that contract. True. You're not moving the contract, so you know what are you gonna do? So here's how I look at it. I think Silva, as I said, is a gifted box defender. I think at this point in his career, he can't be a starting center back in a back two. And the reason is because his tendency, as when he marshals that back line, especially now, is to pull their center backs very deep and leave that middle gap between the 18-yard box and halfway to the midline. So what what tends to happen is they suck back on counters and they leave that middle because our midfielders go up so far that that the counters can kind of slip into that middle area. And too many times, and you saw it in that, that second leg, Real Madrid could basically get right to the 18-yard box. And there were times where they almost got really easy goals off of it. I thought Ariola was really good in that game to keep it where it was. But if you're going to have Silva out there, you need a center back who's aggressive enough to play up and kind of attack that little kind of soft area. And Marquinhos isn't really that type of player either. Marquinhos is more of a, he's more of a box center, but he can, he can go out a little bit and he can cover better than Silva at this point, but it's not, it's not like his, it's not like his priority to do that. What I think would really work, and we'll get into this more, is Kimpembe at the tip of that three center back pairing to basically take that, just have him destroy that whole area. Let him be physical, let him cover people one-on-one, let him roam around. And then Silva and Marquinhos behind him, a little bit more pinched out, able to sort of just control the box. So they're covering the box. Silva, uh, Kimpembe's, you know, destroying things up front. It takes away that issue that you have where you don't have a defensive mid, because that, that third center back acts as your defensive mid. Now, we'll get a little more into detail on that later. I keep teasing it, but we'll save the manager talk for last. Um, 
fullbacks. Uh, I think Yuri's proved that he's capable of being on this team. I'm not sure he's um, Champions League worthy. He didn't do anything wrong against Real Madrid in the two legs. He just wasn't... Um, he's just not an offensive uh, juggernaut. He's not going to help you like Marcelo will on the left side. It's just not who he is. He's a good defender. And if everything else is working well around him, I think Yuri could be a piece that you can use effectively. But obviously everything wasn't really working well around him. So it, it didn't really matter. And on that right side, I think Alves is starting to show his age. And I thought he was good in the first half. I thought he was dreadful in the second half. I just thought he ran out of gas. And I know everyone loves Telma Meunier. I know everyone thinks he's this great, awesome right back. And there's things he does really well. I'm not sold on him as a complete right back who can play um, the defense necessary to win a top flight competition. I'm glad you said it. Because if anyone if anyone remembers the first leg, Marcelo basically and I and I don't use this word very often because I don't like to use hyperbole, but he liquidated him. Like took him, threw him in a furnace and liquidated. Like there was nothing left of him. You know what I mean? Like he he was like he was that bad when they brought him on to play defense. He got caught out of position, blah, blah, blah. It just wasn't, he wasn't, um, maybe liquidated is a little strong, but he was, he was thoroughly dominated and against Barcelona in the six, one thoroughly dominated. So you need a wing back, especially in this modern game that can do both things fairly well. Um, Alves at one point in his career was that, and I think this year he was his, your best chance. He didn't work out all that well in the second half of that second leg, but you know, what are you going to do? Now, it's clear that Kurzawa looks to be on his way out. I'm not shedding any tears for that. So what's the move? Because regardless of whether whoever comes in, they're probably going to have to get another left back and right back will probably be taken care of with either Alves Meunier or Meunier Georgian. So your thoughts on our fullback position? Well, yeah, it looks like, it definitely looks like cause I was out. Um, everybody, everybody <laughs> who, uh, who missed today's match, they kind of have had a reason. Uh, our story just had a, just had a baby. Cavani was being arrested. McCain was being arrested or whatever. But with Chris Allen, it was just a choice, you know, and I thought that was more, you know, that was really interesting to kind of telling as to what's about to happen with him. And then he obviously changed um, agents. But um, but I'm with you on Yuri. Like, you kind of get what you, you know, kind of get what you got there. And uh, as far as Danny Alves, man, yeah, he's he, he's really showing his age. And the difference, and and he and it's, and it's crazy because you can still kind of consider him to be the best right back in the world right now because of his ability going forward. The difference between him and Marcelo is simply that Marcelo still has the athleticism. He can still run for a full 90 minutes, and Dani Alves just can't do that anymore. And uh, and in terms of Tomamunia, I, I completely agree, and I know that's not a popular thing to say, 
like today's match, he was magnificent, but it was deceptive in terms of. There was no pressure on him. He could right, just he run was, forward the whole game. Like if exactly. any right back in the world who could run, who could just be allowed to go forward the whole game, is going to be pretty good. It's going to be good, exactly. And, and and yeah, we're playing Mets, so that's that, that's not really that's also it's really deceptive, and it's and like you said uh, against uh, this, the the six one game against Barcelona, Neymar gave him hell. The second and and in the first leg, he, Marcelo gave him hell. It's like. Whatever he has offensively, it's the complete opposite defensively. Not in terms of his effort, but just his athleticism, being able to track back. I mean, they were just sending long balls over him against, I think it was Asensio or Bale in that first leg. And it was just like, goodness, this guy cannot keep up with him. So, you know, what do you do? And and this this definitely might be, uh, not might, I'm sure a lot of people disagree with this, but I've always said, the thing about Serge Aurier, I know everybody hates Aurier. It was to me, it wasn't about whatever he's done off the pitch and how you know stupid he is at times. But the lack of talent at the right back position in all of Europe, because if you think about all of Europe, who are the best right backs? There's not a lot. There's not a lot of them as as as, as you can say that about other positions. So I thought, you know, hey. Maybe we should have kept him for that. But, you know, that's just my personal opinion. So, because if you look at Alves, he can't play that level again. And Munier, we know his deficiencies in defense. So, who are you going to bring in? You know, um, we're going to depend on the youth, on the youth player. Uh, we're going to try to get someone, some old veteran from Serie A or the Premier League. So, it's like, what are you going to do? But uh, definitely the left back position, if we can get Alexandro, that would be perfect. And, uh, you know, that's just kind of wishful thinking in terms of, you know, whatever PSG can do with financial fair play and all that good stuff. But I would I would love if, if, if they can try to make a move to get Alexandro to, to PSG, kind of shore up that left back position. Yeah. And I think he's the one that makes sense, because let's say theoretically you do go to Conte, you yeah. really wouldn't have to get a six at that point because you'll go to a back three. Right. And then Sandro would be your your acquisition and you probably would have to pay 60 to 70 actually i think he's on a free because yeah, he's out of he's out of contract he's on a that that's the whole thing he's on a free so it, it's not as big a deal in the financial fair play because all you have to do is pay the wage so it's it's a legitimate option and it's probably the more likely one of them to if they have to do something to fix the team which is to get a guy who comes out off contract rather than having to pay some lofty sort of transfer fee. Now, into the midfield, Thiago Mata's retiring. Um, I think DR will stay around. I think DR has been good enough where he can be a backup for you for next year. I think he's shown enough of that to to show he can be around for you. Um, Rabio, obviously, I think you do everything to keep. I think he's only going to get better, hopefully. Um, Unkunku, you keep him around, obviously. I don't think you even loan him out. I think he's good enough to get Liga rotation minutes. Um, Lachelso, obviously, you're keeping. Um, Draxler will be an interesting one. Let's, let's start with Draxler. Um, is it one of those where you actively try to ship him? Or do you wait to see who the manager is? And maybe he fits in better with that manager's plans? Or is it one of those deals where 
if a team gives you an offer that entices you enough, you let him go. Yeah, I think I don't think you try to actively ship him. I think you have to kind of wait it out and, and see what, like, you know, again, like you said, what what manager we get. But more importantly, you have to wait out and see. Um, I'm getting the brain freeze here uh, with Drax. So you just kind of yeah, you have to you have to let him be in a natural position. Yeah. You know? So it's like he, he's been playing out of position all year. And, uh, you know, we, we haven't really been able to see what that what that's been done. But if the right offer comes on the table, I think you go for it as far as Draxler goes. But I don't think you try to actively ship him. Yeah, I, I'd agree. I think you can get a good 50 to 60 for him. But I still think he's so talented of a player when he's, you know, engaged and when he's focused and when he's in the right spot. And, I, thought he had a great, I thought he had a pretty solid game today, even though he didn't score. Yeah, I, th- I thought he was good here too. I think he yeah. needs to. He needs to. He he's better when Neymar's not there, just because he can run at defenses more. But uh-huh. uh, it's a, it's an interesting it's an interesting situation with him. Now, on to um, Marco Verratti. Is have we gotten to the point now where maybe in his mind? He thinks he's sort of outgrown this part of his career. I didn't think last year was the year to move him because obviously the way Barcelona went about it, I thought was absolutely um, despicable because there's nothing Barcelona does better than poaching players or trying to poach players. And they're experts at it. And they know how to they know how to put on the the destabilization campaign. And I think it was important that it was important that PSG stand up to that. But I think at this point, there's an argument to be made that there's a lot of young midfield talent behind him. And that PSG are in a better position to absorb the blow of losing him than they would have been. I mean, it's an argument you can make. Uh, Whether you agree with it or not is sort of incidental. But I look at it like... If the offer comes of 80 to 100, the way PSG are with financial fair play, I think it would be silly not to at least really consider it. And then use that money to do something to shore up other ends of the team so that you can go in and get maybe another upgrade at another spot where you might need it. And if you go to a three at the back... You only have two central midfielders anyway. So you're, do you think that, and this takes everything into account, his sort of demeanor, the rumors that he was going to leave in the past, his performances this year, which have been pretty good for the most part. Is it just time for these two people, two entities who have been in this six-year relationship to finally just say it's not you it's me it's time to go our separate ways you know is it time for these two to to break up is the romance over well it's it's, it's looking like it in terms of like it depending on who you ask like I said I, I can definitely see the argument in saying that by now he should reach a level where his play is more consistent than what it's been. My only fear is if this guy goes to Barcelona, 
can guarantee you he's going to become a, a smarter player. Like, I can almost, like, it's just, it's just one of those things that only happens to PSG, right? Like, the guy couldn't do it here. As soon as he goes to another team, he starts, like, all of a sudden, you know, change of scenery kind of does that for you. Yeah. And, 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 and it's one of those things that's like, yeah, if he goes somewhere, you, you're kind of going to be salty that you let him go because, you know, you didn't wait it out or whatever. So, it's, uh, I, I don't want to see him go personally. But I can definitely see the case, and if it makes sense for him as well, yeah. Well, yeah, but I would also tell Marco Verratti, you can go anywhere except for Barcelona, because I wouldn't sell him to Barcelona. If you want to go, if you want to go to Man United, if you want to go to Chelsea, if you want to go to, um, I think both of those teams would be good for him. I think they could, both of those teams could use him. I think they could use his creativity. I think they could use his uh, control on the ball. I think Juventus could probably use him, maybe. So you don't have to sell him to Barcelona. Yeah, I can, you can that. sell him somewhere else. <laughs> and I, I'm at that point where I really feel like sometimes, no matter how good a guy is, it just it's not the right um, it's not the right situation for him. And you just have that feeling that with Marco Verratti, he's just He's gone through too much. He's not responded great to it over the years. And I think from a tactical perspective, I think PSG could do with being a little more direct. And I think Marco Verratti can hurt that sometimes with his style. It's almost like he's a different uh, fit in the offense than what they might really need at this moment. I mean, that's just philosophical. It's not necessarily you know, a, a truism, but it's something that I think people have noticed. I think I've noticed it a little bit where he's sort of a square peg in a round hole on a team where Neymar is going to dominate the ball. So do you think, well, let me ask, do you think he goes? If you had to put a percent on it. Um, are you asking? Well, like if, like, are you asking like his, like his own decision? Like if he's saying no, he uh, my, no, or, just, just the, uh, just the end product. Is he gone or not? I, I'll give it. I'll say it's it's fifty fifty. I'll give it fifty yeah. fifty. Like it's it's like he either is going to go or stay. But I think the, another another I guess glimmer of chance or or, or hope or whatever is. Pretty much since he's been at PSG, he's played with the same central midfielder, which is Thiago Monto. We've never really seen him play with anyone else. So, you know, that's another thing to – that's if PSG is willing to be patient with that, you know, you know that progression again. But, you know, we, we've, we haven't seen him play with anyone else but Thiago Monto for, you know, in the grandest scheme of things. And, you know, that's another reason you would kind of wait it out. But, yeah, I think, you know – if it, I'll give it about fifty-fifty, you know, he, he stays, he goes. I don't, I don't, I don't see him leaning towards one way. And uh, I mean, if you ask him, he'll probably say, "I want to," you know, what they all say. I want to be the one to be here when Paris, you know, get the Champions League. Yeah. You know, that sounds good, but you know, if, 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 if the right team comes calling, they're probably going to want to go. Yeah, and I'd agree. Let's go to the front line. Um, despite the rumors from Spain, Neymar staying. So that's just. But it's so shameless too. Like I, I, it's so shameless. It's like 
the Barcelona paper says he wants to go back to Barcelona. The Real Madrid paper says he wants to go to Real Madrid. Like, do you are we like are we gonna pretend that these newspapers out of Spain are in any way legitimate news sources? Are we gonna continue to just again? I it's part of my ESPN FC hatred where it's just like this stuff is not credible, and. Even if they were to sell Neymar, it would be for over 500 million euros. And PSG would be set up for the next 10 years with that money. Like, it's a win-win for PSG either way. I think Neymar is going to be around for three more years. But, you know, that's up to him. But I, I think he's got more to do. I think it would be a failure. Obviously, it would be a sign of him failing if he left. And I don't don't really see Neymar as that type of guy. I don't see him as somebody that bails out on stuff. I think I think it's really disrespectful, really, to PSG. The whole Neymar, like... Oh, yeah, it, it, that's... that's it's, 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 it's the perception that people have of PSG. Oh, they don't deserve him, so let's just put out a rumor so that, like, it's, it's really disrespectful to the club to even insinuate that the guy just got here for a year and... Uh, he 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 wasn't impressed with the first season. The players are kicking him in league. Uh, he doesn't like Emery. He doesn't like Cavani. It's like yo, like just just say you don't like PSG. Don't do narrative things like it's it's just corny. <laughs> but yeah, no, and it it part of it is also that it, it sells papers and people are interested in it. And he's a worldwide celebrity. But I mean, these rumors started in October. Like, it was literally October. They waited two months to start the rumors. It wasn't even like they waited half a year. They waited till October. So, Neymar's here. Mbappe's here. Uh, the two question marks really are, does Gonzalo Guedes get loaned again, or does he get sold, or does he get fit into the equation? And does Edinson Cavani, is Edinson Cavani's time up, too? Now, obviously, that's a that's a harder one to sort of uh, figure out because you don't know the coach, you don't know the um, the status of Geddes. What does PSG's front three look like? Assuming they have a front three, what does PSG's front three look like in uh, 2018, 2019? Well, I think any any coach with any type of logic, you want to keep this front three for at least another year to see what you're going to get out of it, right? Because, I mean, they were lethal all year. When they when those three played together, you know, for the most part, they were lethal. So I think you want to keep that intact for at least another year just to see what it is. Yeah. Now, before, uh, I, I thought about this the other day. I'm like, I was thinking, if I'm Cavani, honestly, if the right move comes, I'm out of here. And I, I really hate that because I, I like the guy and I really want him to stay. But if I'm him, I'm not sitting through another season where people are kind of putting me up in this this uh, fake beef with Neymar every week and, and being unappreciated and, and all this. If, if I'm him personally, I'm, if, the, if, if Napoli or Juventus or somebody comes calling, I'm out. You know, because I don't, I don't, I don't think it's fair to him as, as professional as he is at all times and as good as good as a player he is. He's really went through some things that if it was anyone else. They would have fought back. They would have kind of, like, made a riff out of it. And he's just remained a professional about it the entire time. So, um, because, and, then, and then if you look at it tactically, we, we've yet to see 
Mbappe really flourish as the number nine. So yeah. is this the is this the year you want to kind of like let's say Cavani's gone? Do you want to put him there at that nine and then bring in Geddes or if you want to buy another winger or whatever? Where Mbappe is in the nine and you're kind of building him as a pure nine, but again that's another year of progression where it would make sense where you already kind of solidified Neymar, Mbappe, and Cavani. You kind of know what you're going to get. And you give that another year to work. And, you know, something something better can come out of it. So I personally think it's going to be those three again, unless, you know, whatever they decide to do with um, with uh, Geddes, I mean, he's, he's kind of, his form has kind of dipped a little bit. You know, a couple of months ago, he was scoring like every match, and now not so much. So... You know, was that like hype? You know, is, is that truly what type of player he is? I mean, if you think about league and the type of uh, physicality that's in the league, is he going to be able to play the same? So I think you stay with Neymar, Cavani, and Mbappe as long as you can. I I would say what I think they should do is I think they should keep this group together for another year, but with the idea that this is the last year of Cavani. And how I would manage it is there'd be a lot of Liga games where I would play Mbappe as the central striker. And I would play whoever we... Um, because I, I don't think Di Maria's on this team next year. I think he's been really good for them, but I think they, they're going to have to get a fee for him. And I'd rather go younger at this point. Maybe you like that veteran presence off the bench, but I think you figured out from that game that Di Maria's not the X Factor. He's not an X factor of a player. He's a he's a, he's still very good, but he's at the point now where I think you just kind of look at it objectively. He did not make a difference against Real Madrid in the second leg. He wasn't as good as you wanted him to be. He was still okay, but he wasn't nearly the sort of offensive threat that you want it you'd want out of him. So let's say theoretically it's Neymar, Cavani, Mbappe, 65 minutes in. Cavani gets subbed for either Geddes or Wea, and Mbappe moves centrally to the nine later in games. So you continue that evolution of Mbappe becoming a nine while grooming a player to take over on the wings. And maybe that guy's Draxler. Maybe you move Draxler over to the right wing. Maybe you figure something out to give yourself some depth. Maybe Draxler's that guy they bring off the bench on occasion as that as a guy in that with some depth there. But that's where I see them going with that. Because I, I think at this point, you can get another year out of Cavani. But after that, I would probably sell him and let him go and, you know, end his career back in Italy or however he wants to do it. He's a club legend. He deserves to kind of go out on his own terms. Yeah, so, he, but you know what I mean? It's different than Verratti. Like, yeah. Verratti, yeah, it's, different. it's different in that case, in the, in the sense that if name, if Cavani asks to leave, yeah. you let him leave. Yeah. You don't hold him hostage. I don't even like to use that term, but you don't quote unquote hold him hostage uh-huh. in the same way you held Verratti hostage. Although I don't think when we're talking about contracts and the fact that Marco Verratti signed about 10,000 contract extensions that you're really holding a guy hostage. But, but you know, with Cavani, it's different. He's he's given to the team. He's been a loyal soldier. He's not been linked with any of these dumb Barcelona nonsense. 
like you give him if he wants to go, you let him go, and you figure out the best place to go with him, and you and you treat him with respect on the way out. He's earned that respect. So uh, there's your little run through on the lineup. Let's talk about the coach before we uh before we head on out of here. Um, Unai Emery's fired. He's dead man walking right now. He's just there um because they don't want to pay him a buyout uh any buyout money. So he'll coach to the end of the year. They'll they'll let him go, and a new coach will be brought in. And the short uh the list of names so far that have been credibly linked are Antonio Conte, Mauricio Pochettino, uh Carl Ancelotti again, and um a few other minor names, Simeone, but I don't think that's gonna happen. Let's let's say that your three major candidates are Conte, Poch, and Ancelotti. Here's the questions. Who would you want to be the coach? Who do you think will be the coach? And do you think that person is would make that much of a difference in this team going out in the round of 16 or becoming a legitimate threat to winning the Champions League? Yeah. Um, well, I think I think realistically, if we're being realistic, I think those are the three, you know, yeah. candidates. Um, but to me, it comes down to Pochettino, and and I, I honestly, like I said, I've I've said before, I'm not high on either one, Pochettino or Conte, but I would defer, I would choose Antonio Conte because of um, not not even his history, right? It's it's who he is, his demeanor, and what he gets out of guys, and and, and what he did with the Italian international team in the 2016 Euros. I was very impressed with, and you know things like that where he's he's a, he's a, he's a type of manager that he's not only able to demand respect, but his presence alone commands it. Where he's not gonna be he's not gonna be ran over by any player with, with any type of transfer fee or whatever. None of that matters to him. And uh, in terms of uh, Pochettino, it's like, why is he even a candidate realistically? Now, I want to look at it from this point, right? What is it because he coaches in the Premier League? or And it's because he's a former PSG player. Yeah. When you take those things away, what else do you have? He hasn't really won any major trophies that I'm. No, aware he's of. won nothing. Okay. He, he, as, and... as 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 somebody say, he's won nothing. <laughs> nothing. So the trophy case is, is empty and... for him. Again, I don't want to completely just go off of history, but okay, Tottenham in the Premier League—they've always been the kind of just you know blue collar, consistent team. They're not Man United or Man City and uh, Chelsea. But they've always been kind of in the fray. And in his time with Tottenham, he hasn't gotten worse, but he hasn't really taken them to a whole nother level either. So, again, if we're looking at why he's even a candidate, it's because he's a former PSG player and he coaches in the Premier League. Yeah. So, to me, you know, it, it, it has to be Conte if, if we're talking about what this team lacks right now. It's, it's a, some type of identity and some 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 grit and some and some fortitude and an attitude. They don't play with with any type of. They don't impose their will on anyone. And mm-hmm. you know, 
I feel like Conte will bring that out of them. Now, my only knock on Conte, and, I, and we kind of uh, spoke on this before, it, is that his the type of person, human being he is, he's cut from the same cloth as uh, Antero Enrique, who's the sporting director, where I can, I can foresee them possibly getting into some type of friction or, or rift because of a decision of bringing in a player or a tactical setups or whatever. So, and that's really my only downside is he's not going to take any, he's not going to take any shit from anyone. And we kind of don't want that in our, in, you know, in, in our front office. But other than that, if they, if, if, if Nasser and Enrique give him the license to really manage the team as he wants to, for him to buy the players he wants to, I think he would be the, 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 the perfect fit, not necessarily long term, but what you want to do is turn this thing around right now, and we shouldn't ever go out in the round of 16 again in the foreseeable future because we just have too much talent for that. You know, I, I think you pretty much said most of what I was going to say because that's yeah. pretty much my argument. So I'll, I'll say it in a slightly different way, but it's mm-hmm. basically the same argument you're making. Yeah. There's been, for the last five years, I think PSG, as a club, have been a bit of a country club. And to an extent, it's worked in that there's a camaraderie with this group, I think. I think, for the most part, they all genuinely like each other. I think there's a lot of comfort with everybody. And I think one of the things that... And you saw it two years ago, when Unai Emery tried to put in his system... The players said no, because it wasn't comfortable for them to do. Silva wasn't comfortable with it. I don't think the midfielders were comfortable with it. In a lot of ways, if they had gone to that 4-2-3-1, you would have seen Tiago Mata be kind of eked out of the squad. Yeah, 100%. And I think the players in that situation, they opted for comfort. They opted for... We want to do things our way because we don't want to be put in a situation where we're getting that pressure from the manager. And at that point, I think Unai Emery became mostly ineffective because tactically, he could no longer go, here's what we should do. It was more, let me try to fit my ideas into this thing that they want. And for a long time, PSG have, for a long time, they have needed the type of whatever it is Conte has that PSG don't have. He's the exact sort of, and I'm going to use a crude analogy here, but he's the exact type of enema that PSG need. Yeah. He's an enema. He's the guy that comes in and goes, we're doing this shit my way. We're going to go to a back three, which means a diminished role for Thiago Silva. Mm. We're going to go with two in the midfield. We're going to go with these wingers. We're going to play this style. And we're going to defend. And we are going to put pressure on you to defend. And if you don't defend, you're going to go to the bench. And someone else who's going to defend is going to come in and take your place. That's right. And 
if PSG had had something like this in the past, you could maybe go and say, all right, they don't need it again. But they've never had this. Edgin Rabio's never had it. Mbappe's had it a little bit with Jardim, but not in that way. Um, these are players that are very comfortable. And I think that in the short term, for two years, they need to be uncomfortable. And yes, people are going to go, well, what will Neymar think? I honestly believe this. And you can call me naive or you can call me a homer, whatever you want. I think Neymar cares about winning. I think he wants to score a lot of goals and he wants to win. And I think if he wins the World Cup this year, he's going to focus on getting that Champions League. And if Antonio Conte is going to make the people behind him play defense and open him up and give him the freedom to really kind of be the offense and dictate things, he'll be okay with that. He has enough comfort in his life where I think he'll be able to respond to a coach that pushes him. And to think that he's this sort of baby that can't take, you know, constructive criticism or coaching, I think that's selling the guy short as a man. And I think that a Cavani will thrive under that type of pressure. I think that he'll get the most out of your wingbacks. I think he's here's a guy that turned Victor Moses into a legitimate Premier League player. And that's pretty hard to do. Here's a guy that turned to Marcus Alonso, who's like a mid-level wing player. I mean, think about the talent Chelsea have. It is not this dynamically talented team. They have Eden Hazard, and that's about it. Conte's very good, and uh, N'Golo Conte's very good, but he's not what you would call a all-world player. He's very good. He's not all-world. And... PSG need that kick in the ass. They just need it. And they haven't gotten it, and they've never gotten it. And yes, what I would do is I'd have Conte there for two years, and I would be grooming the next guy underneath him on the youth levels, whether that be a Maxwell, which I actually think wouldn't be a bad idea, because I think Maxwell could be a pretty damn good coach. The fact that he's, he's played under Mourinho and Pep, he's seen how those two managers do it, I think he'd have some ideas. I think he'd be a guy that they could not pay as much money to over the time. I think they like him. I think Nasser likes him and trusts him. And and respect from the players. And respect from the players. So I think eventually Maxwell could do that. But before Maxwell can come in and sort of give you that, you need to have the enema first. You have to you have to Get a guy in who's going to make them work hard and make them work hard and do all the little things necessary. And that's what I think Conte brings you. Yeah, he's going to be a pain in the ass, but for way too often, PSG have tried to avoid that type of stuff. They need a little bit of that. True. I mean, they've gone from Laurent Blanc and Unai Emery to a guy that's actually going to hold people accountable. It's a nice change for once, and it's one that PSG desperately need. And as I say this, there's a chance the Crystal Palace come back and tie this game. So hopefully they don't. Hopefully they don't do that and make what I'm saying seem me a little bit more stupid. But I'm sorry, just yeah, just really quickly on to Pochettino. If that's where you were going with it, on to Pochettino. I think there's a romance around him that he's the next Pep Guardiola. I think they see what he's done with England's players. 
and you know Harry Kane and Danny Rose and whatever and um uh Deli Alley and I think they've seen that and I think they know he's a former PSG player. He likes the club. And there's this romanticism about this guy coming in and just being the greatest manager in the world. And, yeah, he's done a lot of good things in his career. But once again, how many trophies has he won? Nothing. He's won nothing. He hasn't even won the Carabao Cup. Think about that. And... When, and let's put it this way. When Unai Emery came in, he was a three-time Europa League winner, consistently finishing in the top half of the of La Liga, which to me is the best league in the world. Unai Emery was a much more qualified candidate than Pochettino is now. Absolutely. And I think a lot of people are like, oh, well, Pochettino is this tactical master and wizard. And I mean, not really. Like, think about, I mean, really, think about this for a minute. He took a team, he had a team basically up two goals at home in the Champions League, and he blew it. He blew it. And no one's going, oh, it's Pochettino's fault, because, again, we're looking through it with rose-colored glasses. If that had happened to Unai Emery, you know, they would want to have a public inquiry about it. So... Let's be realistic and go, is Pochettino the right guy for this job? I'm not, a and I may sound like it, but I'm not like 110% anti-Pochettino. Like, I'll take him as the coach and go, eh, we'll see what happens. But I wouldn't get my hopes up. He's not a guy that gets my hopes up about anything. He's he, he, To me, he seems like... Emery with a better, you know, he seems like Emery with better PR. And, like, what what does he do when he goes in to see, to see Neymar? He, like, you know that Conte is not going to be phased by that. Exactly. But what is Poch going to do? He's going to want to make people happy. He's going to go in, and he's going to have to win that locker room over. There's a lot of guys in that locker room that have won a hell of a lot more than Pochettino has. You know, they, they that that locker room's won. There's a there's guys that have played in World Cups, who've starred in World Cups, who've won European Championships other places. If I can, um, have there been? Yeah, I think there's been. There, um, Draxler won a World Cup. He won a Confederations. Um, has anyone on that team won a Champions League? Well, other than Neymar and Dani Alves. Yeah, there you go. Thanks. I was blanking there for a minute. But my point being. You have a whole bunch of guys that have actually won things in their career, and here's going to come this Mauricio Pochettino guy, and he's going to have to prove himself. Conte is just going to go in, and he does not give a shit. He's just going to do what he wants. And again, I think PSG need a little bit of that. Would you be? Would you, yeah? Go ahead. So my question would be: So what would you say to to someone who makes the argument that okay? Like, our two candidates right now are two coaches who aren't going to win the Premier League or, you know, haven't done relatively that good this year. Yeah. Well, Conte's won the Premier League. Right. Andy's won Serie A. Andy took a, an Italian team that, as you saw, two years after he left, couldn't even make the World Cup. The World Cup, 
And he took them, I think, to the quarters or the semis of Euro 2016. I think it was the quarters. But he, he, he's tactically not bad. He's a good tactical manager. I mean, he's not this. He's not again a wonderkin. He's not going to try nine thousand different things. You know what he's going to do. But it is to a certain extent, PSG need that defensive structure. Someone has to teach it to them because they don't have it. And Pochettino's teams are not defensively sound. I mean, you saw them basically just give up two goals to Juventus off of nothing. And then you saw Juventus in that game just lock it down defensively. And part of that is because those players, while playing for Allegri, have also played for Conte. So they had to develop it somewhere, and I'm of the opinion that players are the sum of the coaches that they've played under. So, if you notice, really great players play for really good coaches for the most part, and they play for them, and they play for them over the span of their careers. So, the passion and the defensive solidity that Juventus have is part due to Antonio Conte. And even if Conte gets them to the semifinals one year and the quarterfinals the next year, the thing he brings them will stay with them. And you become the sum of the... of the, I guess you become the sum of your experiences. So now they've had two years under Conte. The Kimpembe's, the Rabios, the, the Mbappe's. And now... When the next coach comes in, who may be a little more expansive and can give you better ideas, maybe, then you're ready. Now you have that defensive solidity that you've been taught for two years, and you can spin that forward. If you go right to Pochettino, he's not bringing that. You still have the same problem, which is you can't play defense against big-time opponents. That's the thing that has to be fixed. If you don't fix that, you have nothing. You can arrange the deck chairs. You can go to a 4-2-3-1. You can be better in your passing. Whatever. If you can't defend in the big games, you're going to lose. And lose, you will lose, you will lose over and over and over and over again. And that's the story as it will be told over and over again until you fix that. Poch ain't fixing it. Conte might. All right. Well, um, we've gone a long time here, but I think we got pretty much everything in that we needed. Again, did you ever say who you thought was actually going to be the manager? Did you think it was going to be Conte? Yeah, I, I see it being Conte. Like, I don't, yeah. you know, like, there's there's no other real options. I'm seeing a bunch of names. Uh, Luis Enrique, the former uh, Barcelona coach. You know, I think realistically we can see Conte leaving Chelsea. Yeah. And him being available, you jump on that. Like, so yeah. I, I can see that happening. And again, I'll just reiterate. And, and the two, with the two, I would prefer him. Definitely. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't mind Ancelotti because I don't think he really got a chance with this good of a PSG team. I think he he might be okay with that. I'm not sure you'll get better defensively, but I think you'll be a little more sound. I just I just think this team desperately needs that to learn how to sort of struggle and struggle well. And I think Conte brings that. I don't think any of the other guys do. 
So somebody's got to come in there and kind of shake up the status quo, pretty much. Oh yeah, there has to be a little bit of discomfort here, and they Uh and they they've gone been far too comfortable for far too long. So, um, I think we're gonna leave it there. Um, this has been a really good, um, really good session, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, any other thing you want to add? Uh, anything you want to plug? Anything you're working on? Um. Give out that Twitter so we can bump up the subscribe, uh, bump up that follower base. Yeah, no, I mean it's uh, nothing really to plug right now. Just uh, I'm really busy with my my full time job right now this month. But yeah, you can follow me at uh, on Twitter at God for short G O D F R S H O R T, and uh, yeah, I'm on there talking about a little bit of everything. So yeah. <laughs> And um, I, I rarely give it out, but you can follow me at, at MarkDamon1. I'm sure if you're listening to this, you probably do already. So, you know, really no need. But um, make sure to follow PSG Talk on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just because the Champions League dream is over doesn't mean there's not fun and exciting things to talk about in the world of PSG. Oh, yeah. Yes, please. Okay. Stay with us. We're, we, we're, we're trying to go for 100 points in the league which is the next goal that we've never done, which would be pretty cool to get. So be along for that ride. We have a Coupe de uh, Lalie final. We'll probably have a Coupe de France final against a third division side. That should be fun. Watching us struggle for 30 minutes and get worried and then eventually score a couple goals and put the game away. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm trying here, John. I'm trying here, pal. <laughs> so... Um, make sure to follow us. Um, I already did that part. Make sure to go to the website, psgtalk.com. Subscribe to the Patreon page. I don't plug it as much as I should. For just $1 a month, you can help build our subscriber base. You can help us sort of keep this momentum going. We're getting more and more views and listeners by the, by the month. And there is a rumor that there may be T-shirts coming out at some point, John. So the more um, Patreon members we have, the more of those I think we'll be able to sell. Um, All right, I think that's about what we got. So uh, for John Olangi, this has been PSG Talk contributor Mark Damon. Au revoir for now.